When you set goals, are you stretching yourself to achieve your big dreams? Are you even setting goals at all? Let's talk about mastering the art of setting goals for your money. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to another great show. This time we have on Chris Browning with the Popcorn Finance Podcast. Oh, by the way, big congrats to him for winning the 2018 Plutus Award for Best Personal Finance Podcast. He totally beat financial residency, but hey, I'm happy to have connected with such a great guy because he's doing awesome work, and you're about to hear that in today's show. Speaking of work, you can't produce good work if you don't set and achieve goals. Same goes with every other aspect of your life, including goals for your money. And in this show, Chris and I talk about holding ourselves accountable to setting goals so that we can achieve our ideal lives. And we talk about rewarding ourselves for even the small wins and how to get back on track if we happen to kind of wander off. Who best to talk about the art of goal setting than Chris? So let's jump right in and enjoy the show. Chris, really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. God damn, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And everyone just in the first few seconds could hear your voice and they're like, oh, that's why he won the Plutus Award. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Chris, I'm excited, man. Now, I really want to talk about goals and goal planning here as we kind of kick off the new year. And I was like, well, who better to talk to than the man that runs Popcorn Finance? So okay. let's jump right in and let's talk about like why someone would actually set up a goal or goals let's look at it as like, should they be setting up like really big ones that they're going to try to stretch into or should they settle for more quote unquote realistic goals? That's a great couple of questions there. And you know, for one, setting a goal, I think it's important just for the fact because you just end up running around for so many years. I didn't set goals. I was just like, you know, I kind of have this general idea of what I want to do and I should be fine. You know, you just kind of in your head, you think of something, this is what I'm going to do next year. But then if you never actually write it down or have any type of plan whatsoever, it's almost guaranteed that you're not ever going to reach it because one, you're going to forget probably because that, that was my issue every time, or you don't really have a real plan to actually reach the goal. It was just an idea or something that kind of came to mind and it sounded pretty good at the time. So, you know, this is going to be my goal for the new year. But I think with anything in life, if you don't have any type of plan whatsoever, how do you even expect to achieve it, especially when it comes to financial goals? Because Normally, there's some type of mark you're trying to hit, whether it's saving, paying off debt, maybe you want to buy a house. There's all these these very specific goals you might have, but without some type of plan, how you're going to actually achieve it, you can't just all of a sudden wake up you know, two weeks before the end of the year and try to throw a bunch of money that you don't have at the specific goal. So for me, that's why setting goals is really important because it allows you to think of a plan, have some type of idea of how you're going to do this month by month to reach this actual goal because chances are it's going to be pretty big. It's not something you can just throw together last minute. And as far as like the size of your goal, you know, I kind of go back and forth on this, you know, with goals, you want them to be something that's achievable because you don't want to set all these goals that are, there's like no way you're going to ever hit them because you're just going to be disappointed and you probably won't set any more goals. But at the same time, you want to push yourself. You want to have something to kind of stretch yourself. Cause if you tell yourself, you know what, in 2019, I want to save a hundred dollars. 
I mean, <laughs> you're not really pushing yourself. You're not trying very hard. And chances are, yeah, you're going to meet that goal, but are you really going to be satisfied? So I try to find some middle ground, somewhere between a goal that is, it's small, it's something that I feel like I can reach, but then something that closer to like this big lofty dream I may have. And I try to find some middle ground in between there. So what I'll do sometimes is I'll sit down and I'll kind of write out some things. Like uh, I was actually doing this earlier today. I was kind of looking at what I want to do in 2019 and I'll write down a couple of points. And some of the things I wrote down were fairly easy. Some things were kind of like dreams that I may have. And I kind of sit there and try to blend them together and figure out, you know, what's something that I can push myself towards and then what's something that I can actually still reach. So that's kind of my thoughts on, you know, setting these goals and determining how big they should actually be. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I've gone through both cycles on this, or I should say all three. One was just growing up and being younger. Like my goal was to just survive. Yeah, It was one of those, like, I just want to play sports, hang out, do well in school, never going to write down a goal. And then I went through and I think it was sometime during grad school. And I was like, I need to have real goals. This is a joke. It's been in my head. And, <laughs> and I'm the type of person, like, if I don't write it down or if it's not in front of me, like, I'll forget it. So I was like, you know, I need to, to get serious. Let's write some goals down. So I started writing these like massive, I don't know how anyone would ever be able to achieve one, if not a dozen of these goals <laughs> in a year that didn't work. And then it was, you know, I said, ah, maybe this goal thing isn't for me. And I stopped doing it for a little bit and I started back up. I can't actually remember when this is a number of years ago. I set a bunch of real, like small, realistic goals, not like, oh, a hundred bucks and you know, for the year or something, but it was like ones I could accomplish in like a month. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was I wrote them down and ended up accomplishing the very beginning and then basically forgot about it until like November. And then I was like, oh yeah, I'll go and do these. And I nailed all my goals for the year and I didn't really feel that accomplished. And yeah. even though I checked some stuff off and I'm like the nerd that writes stuff down to check off stuff, you know, when you're doing like a checklist, but I've been going back and forth and I think I've kind of finally figured out you take one hard to achieve goal and you break it up into smaller, more bite-sized, realistic goals. That's kind of helped me a little bit. But what are some of the problems that you see or could think of when you either set too big of goals or just a whole bunch of really small achievable ones? Yeah, you know, I love that you said that because when you're setting a big goal, like you said, breaking it down monthly is like the best way to tackle it because you're giving yourself these little milestones. And it's kind of like you're getting these little boosts of success because every month you're hitting a specific point or a mark, something that you set for yourself that in the end will lead you to this larger goal. So I, I love that idea and that concept because it can be overwhelming. And like you said, you can forget too. So if you have like, Likely. you know, if you have all these goals and then you're like, this is going to be great. January one, you got your list, you're ready to go. By the time you hit like June, you probably either lost the list or you just, I don't know, you just forgotten about some of them. Maybe you hit one or two, but it just becomes, it's too much. It's overwhelming. Like with anything, if you like had like a, a 200 item grocery list, it's too much. You're going to get overwhelmed when you walk into the store and you're like, you know what, let me just grab the most important things and I'll get the rest of this stuff later. It's kind of like that with your goals. If you have this huge list of things, realistically, you're probably not going to hit it. You only have so many hours that you're going to have to actually work towards these goals. So, you know, having I'd say maybe setting like very specific and unique set of goals that are very narrow and achievable and something that you can actually complete in a year, have that to start with. And if you do really well and knock those goals out quick, then, you know, come up with some other goals to replace them. But I wouldn't just write down everything in the world that you can possibly think of that you want to accomplish and try to tackle that because you're going to get overwhelmed. What about the like multi-year big, big, big goal that you might have? So 
let's say it's, Hey, we want to buy a house in three years and or four years, and we need to save 50,000, 60,000 bucks, whatever the number is. What about those goals? What would you do with something like that, that expands more than a year? You know, that's what I'm trying to get better at right now, because I've always been very short term in my mm-hmm. goals. And I think it's something about getting older. You start kind of looking out a little bit further. You're like, well, we're getting you know, old, I guess, man. right? You're like, I guess I am going to be old. So maybe I should start looking out farther than, you know, the next six months. Yeah. So since you brought up, you know, buying a house, live in Southern California, houses are ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And that's something that I can't accomplish saving up a down payment for that in a year. It's just it's too much money. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something that I, that was one of my goals for this upcoming year was to get a down payment ready or at least start the process of saving up a down payment. And the best way to do it is very similar to what you said, where if you have a goal for a year and you break it up into months, you can kind of just take this bigger goal, break it down into multiple years. So, for example, say you need to save, say, $30,000 over the next three years. So you can just say, I have an annual goal of saving $10,000 a year for the next three years. And then you can take one year. So in this case, we'll just say 2019 is coming up and break that down into monthly amounts and then use that to tackle that goal and then kind of just build it up. And, you know, I I see this a lot online. I've never done it, but I kind of love the visual element of it where those people, they'll print out like a sheet of paper. They don't have like a cartoon house on it. And there's like a lines drawn across it. And each line they'll color in as they hit these different milestones. And so something like that could be like a visual representation and throw it on your fridge or the wall. And it's a way to track your goals and one, not forget, but then also kind of see your progress since this is going to be a long-term goal. You have something to kind of keep it going, something to keep it on your mind. Yeah, I I love that. And I was thinking, you know, the gamification thing, right? You can Google this and probably see like there's tons of studies about showing how video games are addicting and all that stuff. But I think it's really the achievement process inside of it. You know, what you're kind of hinting at is, is a way of like gamifying this and doing small rewards as you go along. I love the cartoon house and kind of coloring in like, Hey, we save four grand and that moves it or five grand. And that's one level tier one and tier two. Maybe you can associate like on this one, we're going to go and have a night out uh, for a nice dinner. And you know, here's the next one. Yes. You're technically spending money when you save it, which is kind of weird, but you know, it's a way to, <laughs> it's a way to you know gamify this to a way it essentially is behavioral finance, right? Trying to bring in the behavioral side and giving money some emotion behind that. So you mentioned keeping your goals out, like, okay, so we could put a drawing up on the fridge, but what if they're, you don't want to have that on your fridge, right? Or you don't want people, if they come over to see this stuff, like, where do you keep your goals? So for me, I do keep it on my phone or I, uh, on my computer. I use like a Evernote and I'll like okay. make a page and make a notebook and I'll throw my goal in there and I have like a list of goals. And in that way I have something to reference back to, but it is something that I find myself forgetting sometimes because it's not just in my line of sight all the time. It's something that I have to go into the app. I have to go specifically open up that notebook to review the goal. It is something that I've been considering putting it out. And, you know, I would say it's maybe not even a bad thing to have other people see it because they're like another piece of accountability. If you have a friend come over and like, hey, what what is this right here? You know, say, well, um, you know, I'm saving up for a down payment. Like, oh, well, what are you doing? Or how's that going? And it's something that could be another reminder or I wouldn't call it guilt, but if you tell someone you're doing something and then they ask you about it later and you haven't, it feels bad. You kind of feel dumb for for telling them and never actually working like, towards it. It's a little like peer pressure <laughs> inside there, right? Right? Yeah. You're like, well, like, oh, you said man. you were going to do this. How come you haven't worked towards this at all? So I'd say maybe having it out and someone seeing it isn't the worst thing. It may actually help you stay accountable and, and reach that goal. Yeah. If you trust them enough to have them in your house to hang out, right? They're going to Maybe be there to help hold you accountable. Otherwise, you're like, honey, Chris is giving me crap about the house again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. So 
let's look at it from the other end. Someone said, hey, like I've gone through just a financial mess. I haven't been paying attention. I'm in a hole. I got a ton of debt or whatever it might be. How would you talk about recovering from that financial disaster or just, you know, recovering from a really bad month? And I'm thinking on this in the sense of from a goal standpoint, you got the people that that work out really hard, maybe January, maybe even to February. And I'm like, I'm actually guilty of this. So I'll just call myself out. Like all of you, like, oh, I'm all excited. Like everyone's pumped on all these financial goals. Like I have my goals are set. I do them yearly, but you know, my dietary goals are weight loss goals. I get excited in January and then it kind of fades in March and I'm, you know, back to eating cookies when in January I was like drinking kale shakes. So <laughs> how do we recover from like a financial disaster or just a, a bad month? Mm, no, that's a great point. I can relate with you on that because I'm a serial weight loss person. Is that how you would say that? Sure. I've lost a lot of weight and gained it back multiple, t- <laughs> multiple okay. times in my life. That's what, that's what I do. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's typically you hit some type of breaking point, I think. And with finances, you don't always want to let yourself get there. You don't want to wait till things get so bad that, you know, you have no choice but to make a change. And let's say we'll just stick on like a monthly scale. Say you had like a re- really bad month. Say you just, I don't know, you went out to eat all the time. You took an unplanned vacation on a weekend. Like you just kind of just let go and ignored everything that you had set out for yourself to do. I have a friend, Allison, she's been on my podcast before, and she has this really great practice of kind of doing like a rebudget within the month. And so what happens is like, you know, if you are budgeting, you normally have some type of guideline that you set for a given month or maybe a given paycheck, and that's what you're following. And then like what happens with most of us, you end up just doing whatever you want to do and ignoring your budget. And if you try to just continue along that path, it's just going to compound and get worse and worse every check, you're going to just roll over to where you're just continually trying to catch up on what you messed up on, or maybe you missed out on, or you've probably just ignored a lot of your goals or plans that you have for your finances in previous months. So what she does is she'll sit down and she'll just rebudget. She'll look at where she's gone so far in this month and say, okay, I've spent this much money. These are the expenses I have left to take care of. Now let me sit here and write out a new budget or a new plan to specifically get me through these next, say, couple of weeks. So that way I can get back on track because you have to kind of stop the bleeding. You have to cut it off somewhere and reset and say, okay, this is where I'm at and this is where I need to be. And I think that's sometimes hard to do. It's easier to just ignore the problem and kind of just say, well, it'll it'll get better or I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to keep going about my business. But I think the best thing to do is to kind of sit there, whether it's with a goal that you've set for yourself that you've kind of gone off the rails with, or you've just, you know, spent too much money this given month, taking the time to evaluate where you are and then come up with a new plan that'll get you back on track is going to be your best bet. That's amazing. I, I like that because one, it kind of forces you every other week to kind of check in with yourself. And I think checking in daily is too much. Weekly, some people honestly could benefit from that if they have a spending problem. I think, what does it call it? Bi-weekly. I think that's mm-hmm. a, you know a really good thing to do. I know that I looked at things on a weekly standpoint, then every couple of weeks. And now I'm kind of like a once a month and sometimes even once every other month when I know it wasn't a bad month. I've actually got it down to, if I know what our credit card payment is, as long as we're under that, then we're fine. Cause we save first, pay off all our fixed expenses that come out of the checking account. And then I know typically like what fixed expenses go on the credit card and then all of our variable expenses, right? We'll go on the credit card. So I know, Hey, if we're below X amount of dollars, like I'm good. If it's above, I go, uh oh, where did we kind of mess up? But usually we're not to the point that uh, we're like 
trying to keep catching up and keep falling behind. But we definitely started there, definitely through training. When my wife was in residency, we had we had that. But that's a really good tip. Do you have any other tips maybe to stay the course or to continue just when you maybe are getting tempted? So, you know, if I'm drinking those kale shakes, I'm like, ah, but that <laughs> big plate of brownies looks delicious. <laughs> Thanks, Taylor, for making those. Do you have any other tips though to stay the course on this? You know, I would say don't be so hard on yourself that you you almost force yourself into kind of messing up. So whether it's like with finances or like with weight loss, which I've done, I've messed up many, many times on that side of things. Same. If you don't give right, if you don't give yourself any type of leeway, you don't give yourself room to enjoy yourself, whether it's enjoy food or enjoy money, it's going to be that much harder to continue on the path and keep going. So what I started doing, and which it took me a while to, to get comfortable with doing this, was setting aside money that was specifically to be used for just fun. Like, no bills are going to be paid with this money. No, you know, you're not going to buy gas. But this is specifically just for something that you know you're going to enjoy. And it doesn't have to be a ton of money. You know, it could be $50 a month if that's where you're at in life. Or, you know, if you're a little more comfortable, you can go up to a higher number. You know, whatever works for you, and whatever you feel comfortable with. Have this money set aside for, you know, if you're married, for yourself and your spouse, no questions asked. You're going to do whatever you want to do with this money. And it kind of gives you that relief. It is that release. Like, I just spent money. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And now I can go back and handle the rest of my business and stay on track with everything else because you've got to enjoy yourself. That was the biggest thing that's helped me is, is allowing myself to enjoy some of the money uh, versus just saying all oh, this is going to saving or debt or, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Building a buffer inside of it. What's funny is when my wife and I combined finances for the first time, I actually set it up as three separate checking accounts. One was like all of our bills. And then the other two, one was labeled Ryan checking and one was labeled Taylor checking. And we transferred. Now it wasn't that much money because she was in training when we combined everything. But I think it was like $150 or $200 a month, I think is what we ended up. I feel like that's what it was like 150, 200 a month. And we ended up putting it in there and it was kind of like a no questions asked, do whatever you want, have fun with this. Like you could go donate it all, or you could save it up for six months and go buy something for $1,200. Like doesn't matter to me or to her. And that was kind of our fun release type money. And then everything else was very structured because we weren't making that much money. And that worked out really, really well for us. The only reason we stopped that is because I built it into the budget and I knew that she wasn't going to go spend all our money if she saw a whole bunch of money in the, <laughs> in the checking account. You know, I earmarked that for specific bills. Like we know it's coming in and out, like don't mess with it. But now I just basically have a line item in our budget and, you know, it's a similar kind of thing. We actually didn't, don't spend that much on that, but that really helped us with that. You know, we're both in a high cost of living area. We talked about Southern California here. Do you have any tips or ways to keep finances kind of in check living in a high cost of living area? Yeah, you know, it's a trade-off in what you can do in your budget when you live in a high cost of living area. And, you know, I was actually just looking around at, at prices and I was, you know, you almost like pass out when you see how expensive <laughs> some of these places are. You know, I just saw there was a down the street from me, there's a one bedroom, one bathroom house that was selling for, uh, I think it was $660,000. Oh my goodness. And it was tiny. Like you could see the whole, you could stand on the sidewalk, see the entire house right there. It was a small <laughs> house. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you, this is how much, <laughs> this is what the prices are like right now. So, you know. When you're dealing with costs like this, because it's going to translate whether you're renting or you're buying, 
it's really a trade-off. So you have to prioritize where your money's going to go. If you're saying, I've chosen, because it was a choice for us to live in, in the areas we live, you know, maybe it's because of work or whatever, maybe, but we chose to stay in these areas. Then you have to say, well, another area of my life is going to have to take a hit because my living expenses are going to be that much higher. And so for me, what I've done is I've decided to try to find a more affordable place, but it's not as big as I would like it to be. So I've decided to say, I'm going to downgrade. I'm going to try to find something a little more affordable because for me, Right now, what is a priority is saving because I want to build up a larger emergency fund to make myself feel more comfortable. Whereas, you know, in another situation, I could say, you know what, I want to have a nicer place or this is I want to live in this specific area. But I know by doing that, I'm not going to be able to save as much because you can't do everything at once. You can choose these areas and kind of shift your money around. So whether it's I enjoy eating out, so I'm going to make eating out a larger portion of my budget, but I'm going to drive a less expensive car because I'm going to take that money and shift it over there because I don't care what I drive, but I care what I eat. And I think it's kind of like a balancing act. You, When you sit down and, and map out what you're going to spend for the month, you kind of push things around and say, see where your priorities are. What, what do you enjoy? What are the things that are important for you in your life? And then you can allocate more money to those areas. And then there are other areas that aren't as important. Then you know they're going to take a hit and less money can be sent over to those items. I love it, man. It's like you're in my head. Because it's exactly <laughs> what I preach all the time to my family, my friends, the the listeners here, like anyone who will actually listen to me, just prioritize the spending to make you the happiest. How does it go? You can have everything, but not anything, right? Oh, yeah. What is it? Yeah, you, can, you can afford anything, but not everything. Yeah, I think what, exactly. Yeah. All that is, is understanding, you know, what is it, the trade-off, right? You can assign a dollar, we'll have one job. You can assign it one job. What is it? Let's do it to prioritize and make you the happiest that it can. So you want a house? Is that the number one goal that's going to eat into going out and building into you maybe your emergency fund? Like, no. So what did you do? You decided to buy a little less or going to buy a little bit less of a house. So you can actually do the other fun things that you want to do by going out and Whatever those actually are, whatever activities those are, I love it because you're not depriving yourself of it. You're maintaining a lifestyle that you want to live. You're kind of holding within the means of your budget, but also, you know, just realizing that there's a trade-off. And that's awesome because most people don't realize that at all. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that it does, too, is that when you tell yourself, okay, I know I have these limited funds. I'm going to shift things around. If something pops up that becomes important to you, all of a sudden you find a new hobby or something else that you enjoy, but you know you don't you don't have any more money. You've already allocated things to where you thought were important to the areas you thought were important in your life. It can encourage you then to say, well, I guess I need to find more income then. And it can push you to say, start a side hustle or maybe just find ways to get raises in your current position that you have. It kind of makes you think differently about money. And it's like, well, if I've hit my cap, I can't spend any more, but I really want this thing or I want to do this item or whatever it may be. Now I can say, well, now I need to go make more money. And what can I do now to bring in more money to cover the cost of this specific thing I want to do? Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, they can, physicians can pick up like mood lighting shifts or do other things. Like one, I know one person that, you know, they, they work in the ER in a smaller town, but then they also are the, the city's like corner. Like, and that's the side gig. Now I couldn't do either of those and would never want to even attempt to think <laughs> I could because that just kind of freaks me out. But he figured out like, hey, I've got this amount. This is what I want to do. Oh, I want to earn extra income. And he found another way to bring in that. So we focus a lot on the expense side because that's something that, you know, is somewhat universal to all of us, but absolutely on the income side. Anytime you increase your income, you're going to have that available cash flow in the budget, if you will. And that could be, I wouldn't recommend spending everything you have. And then depending on the 
secondary income to be your your savings because yeah. then you won't do it. Right? <laughs> exactly. And I think that's what people get in trouble with. <laughs> so I would do the savings piece first. Like I always say, pay yourself first, do the savings first, and then all the extra fun stuff that you really want. Maybe that's where you pick up an extra shift or two a month in order to do those. So that's a great advice. So I want to ask you here as we we finish up, and this might put you a little on the spot, but what is the worst financial mistake that you've done and how did you recover from it? It's a great question. There are many mistakes that I can think back on. We all <laughs> have many mistakes. <laughs> we all have mistakes. And you have you a know. background. I mean, you're you're a very intelligent man. Like you've, you've got an accounting degree, like you're incredibly intelligent with finance. And like as an advisor, like I still make mistakes. We're all human. But I'm yeah. curious, like what's a big one and how'd you recover from it? So I say the biggest financial mistake that I've made, you know, I think it was leasing a car just because I really wanted it. There was a car, it was it was an Infiniti G37. I love that car. And thinking back on it now, it's kind of like I've gotten over it now. But at the time, I was like, this is my dream car. I want to get this car. But clearly, I couldn't afford it. I think I had just been out of, I got out of college like maybe two years prior to leasing this car. So mm-hmm. I wasn't making a lot of money at all. And I think I was maybe making maybe $40,000. Okay. You know, I think the car costs more than, more than my annual salary. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't buying it. But I was like, you know what? I deserve this. You know, I, I deserve this thing. So I, I leased it. And I think it was maybe a month after I leased it, all the joy kind of just left. I was like, huh, okay, I have this car now. That's great. I can't really drive that fast. I live in LA, there's traffic. So (laughs) I'm not really getting to enjoy it. And it was just, it was kind of like, it was a two-year lease. So it wasn't that long. But during that time, I thought about it. I was like, I could have paid off the car I had before this and had no car payment right now and have all this extra money every month to do whatever I want to do with it. But instead, I decided to lease this car. So that was my, my big mistake. And kind of the way that I recovered from it was, it was more so more like a mindset change at the end. So I really sat down after I turned the car in and I thought about it and I was like, is this what I want to do? Do I want to have this car payment for the rest of my life and not be able to say, take care of the debt that we have or save for retirement in the ways I want to? And it really made me evaluate what my priorities were and what was the most valuable to me. Where did I want to send my money to? Not just frivolously just make a decision you know, on a whim like I did just to lease this car because I wanted it. It was more so, you know, you really need to sit down and think about this because the decisions you make can have long lasting impacts. This was a two year decision I locked myself into and I did it, you know, because I wanted to. So it really made me change my habits and really look at what my plans were, what my goals were, what I want in life. You know, really think about it and make those decisions in an educated way versus just on emotion. That's super neat. So it's funny you said after about a month, the excitement died, probably about the same time you made that first payment. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, oh, it was, that actually stings. That's a quite big bit. But I actually look at this as like, yeah, I mean, at that salary level, spending what you probably were on that car, like, yeah, that was big in comparison. But realistically, you learn this at a very young age that I think that was a small price to pay because now you did have a mindset change on that and you're better for it. So, That's a cool story. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, for a few people that don't necessarily know your show, and I've linked to it before when we were both nominated for the Plutus Award, but if you could tell them a little bit about your show and who you are and kind of what you do, and you got to give the full full detail on it because I love the (laughs) the whole theme and everything on it. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, So yeah, the show I host is called Popcorn Finance. And the catchphrase or the tagline I use is that uh, we discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. 
So it's a super short form podcast. The whole idea is that, you know, finance is complicated. It can be intimidating, but I want to put it out there in a way that's easy to understand and something that is approachable. You just pick up and go, whether you're going for a quick walk or, you know, you're just driving down to the store really quick. You can listen to an episode in, you know, a few minutes and kind of hopefully learn something and grow and, and feel more comfortable about money. So, you know, I've talked about everything from investing, side hustles, and, you know, I even talked about tiny houses and a guy who was cleaning up dead fish with his friend in high school. You know, it, all these different ideas. It's just a fun a different way one. to talk about it. Right. It was <laughs> Finance can be so, you know, intimidating. So I just want to make it fun, easy to, to jump into and, um, you know, something you can you can enjoy in a few minutes. Yeah. It's an entertaining factor for me. And while I understand, you know, pretty much the majority of what you're going to go into, I actually am really entertained by your show. So keep making the show. It's awesome. And for everyone listening you definitely need to check it out. What about your website? Oh yeah, so you can find me over at popcornfinance.com. So that's where I, you know, post all the episodes. You can find out information. You can get a hold of me if you want to send in a call or, you know, you can even find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You just search for Popcorn Finance. And Chris doesn't know yet, but we're going to have him in our our financial residency community. So if you have any questions on the show or just want to pick Chris's brain, uh, you can do that as well. Just tag him. He'll be in the group. By the oh, way, I'm excited to join Chris, you guys. I'm, I'm inviting you in the group. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for being on. It's been an honor to chat with you. You know, again, keep up the great work and, and thanks again for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on thebossmd.com titled Three Life Decisions That Can Cost You. And in it, the author discusses three decisions that you're going to make in your life that could have a really big financial impact on your financial life, as well as your emotions and your overall mindset. And I quote, with many bad life decisions, money's not the biggest problem we have. Sure, many of these decisions can be very expensive, but remember, money is a tool, not an end. I love that, by the way. You can have very little of it, but still have a wonderful, satisfying life. And you can have a lot of it with a terrible life. So let's hit those three decisions that can cost you. And the first one that they identify is choosing your spouse. This decision can easily make or break you and really shouldn't be taken lightly. And all of you know that. I've seen excellent people get torn down by bad spouses. And I've seen marginal people turn into rock stars with a rock star spouse. That might've been my case. Who knows? So choose wisely. The data would suggest as well that this is a major problem in our culture. And what do most people do when they're in an unhappy marriage? They get divorced. And the divorce rate currently hovers around 50% in America. And that's honestly really sad. The second decision is choosing your friends. You are the average of the five people you interact with the most. And where we've actually heard that is you remember back when we talked with Nick True Uh, where we talked on this exact topic. I completely agree with this. So make sure you go back to listen to that show. It's one of our most popular ones, actually, for, I think, a really good reason. It was a phenomenal show. So I quote, the people you spend the most time with have the most effect on you. This can be good or bad. And in my view, your friends define you in two different ways. First, the friends you choose show what value you have. First, the friends you choose show what you value. You are not going to hang out with people that share none of your core values. Second, your friends define you by how they influence you. This is the most important way that your friends can either help or hurt you. Just like your spouse is one of the best opportunities to influence you because of their proximity, your friends have a similar role. They have your ear 
and they'll likely be the ones that'll give you the most advice. If you have friends that are loyal, smart, humble, and look out for your best interests, then honestly, you've hit the jackpot. If you have friends that are selfish and dishonest and proud, then you should probably look out. They're going to give you poor counsel and influence you in ways that ultimately will cost you dearly. The third decision is choosing your habits. And I thought this was really, really interesting. We all have habits and the author talks about how bad habits can really hurt us in the short and the long term. And what might that look like? Well, what about avoiding a budget or eating too much or buying your kids anything that they ask for, writing your clinic notes at 10 p.m. every night, counting the walk from your car to the office as your daily exercise? I, I might be doing one or two of those, and I'm not so sure, maybe a few more. I can't agree more, though, that some of these cost me physically, emotionally, financially, but there are some good habits that can really help launch all of us into a world of success. So that's things like, let's say the opposite, saving money, tracking categories, tracking calories daily, giving our kids chores to earn money, finishing your notes before you actually leave work, going to the gym three times a week. Thankfully, I have a few good habits to offset some of the bad ones, but the wrong thinking could be that they counterbalance each other. And I'm guilty of this. Absolutely. I openly admit that for a long time. And I, and I did think this way, the good will counter the bad and all will be fine. But why would anyone want to just counterbalance the two and possibly not get ahead? So I'm in the process of writing out a lot of my habits, good and bad. And in 2019, I'm hoping to eliminate several of my bad habits. And I'm telling you guys already, this has been really, really tough. But I know that for me, persistence and dedication, I think I can do it. And if I think I can do it, I know all of you can do it too. This was an excellent article, and I think some of the lesser talked about things that relate to your finances, and it really sparked an interest in me to really take control over these habits, and that was not on my 2019 to-do list until I actually read this article. So thankfully, I've chosen the right spouse. I definitely hit above my league on that one, and I'll chalk it up to meeting her freshman year of college, but might not have been in the cards if uh, she was already a successful physician. Uh, I'm I'm just kidding. Well, actually, I, I hope I'm not. But I definitely don't have to worry about the spouse portion of this article, and I hope you don't have to as well. The Boss MD did an excellent job giving a different perspective on really an interesting article. I'm going to link in the show notes, and I encourage you all to check it out. I hope all of you enjoy the interview as well as the Journal Club. Let's get a short recap here on a few things you should walk away with to improve your financial health. Chris totally helped us with understanding how goals work by holding yourself accountable to reaching them. When you stretch your goals, you really do yourself a service. I mean, setting a goal to save a hundred bucks in 2019, like Chris said, might not leave you very satisfied with having achieved that particular quote unquote goal. We talked about how goal setting is even good if it takes a little bit of time because of a slight derail, you can always get back on track, but it does take effort. When it comes to financial goals, whether it's saving, paying off debt, maybe buying a house, these are really specific goals that help you reach a target that is ultimately a place in a favorable financial position. Chris talks about how he tracks his goals and how it isn't a bad thing to share your goals with friends. Basically, with anything in life, if you don't have any type of plan whatsoever, 
How are you going to achieve what you actually want? Truth is, you can't. Or it might be really difficult and you might just get lucky. When you set goals, it's really behavioral finance. When you find ways to gamify so that you can give your goals some effort. We also talk about recovering from a financial disaster. And Chris says, you don't want to ever want to get to the point in your finances where it's so bad that you're having such a hard time recovering that, you know, you couldn't recover. So his thought was doing a rebudget, and I liked it, a rebudget to calibrate your focus to get back to whole. Everyone makes mistakes. I do, you do, it's okay. Just rebudget, recalibrate, and get back into focus. We talked about setting aside money specifically for fun and communicating with your spouse about keeping your finances in check together. And I know we've discussed this a lot on the show with money dates. Surprise, surprise. All in all, goal setting should be part of your daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever it is, routine when it comes to your money. So what are your money goals? Let us know in the community. Come join us in the Facebook group so we can help hold each other accountable. So a couple quick community updates. We hit a really fun milestone of 100,000 downloads in 57 episodes. I can't believe how unbelievably awesome this community is and how much we've all really grown together. So please make sure to share the podcast with another physician family so they can take control over their finances. If you have an Alexa device, search for our new flash briefing called the Physician Finance Minute. This is a daily digestible tip, yes, daily, that will help you stay on track with getting your financial house in order in one minute or less a day. This is content specifically designed to keep residents and new attendings on track to crush their debt, understand their cash flow, learn how to invest, get the appropriate insurance, and most important, gain confidence when it comes to their finances. It's free. It's only a minute a day. So go check it out if you have an Alexa device. And hint, hint, we might be turning that into a quick podcast, a one-minute podcast. Stay tuned. I have a few questions that I want to ask you all, and I'm hoping that you will either send me an email at ryan at com, or post your answer in our Facebook community, which you can join at financialresidency.com slash community. My questions are, would you guys like to hear a second episode each week instead of just the one main interview? I'm thinking of having it be shorter, maybe 15 minutes, and have it go further into what we discussed in the big interview on the Monday show. I'd also like to ask you if you'd be interested in reading a book that was written by yours truly. I'm really itching to write a book, call me crazy, but I'd love to know if all of you would like to read it. And if there's anything specific you'd like me to cover in the book that hasn't been covered in the show or anywhere else, I've got tons of ideas on what I could write, but I'd really love to create content that you all really want to read first and foremost. So please let me know your answers to those two questions by either sending me an email at ryan at or joining us in the Facebook community at financialresidency.com slash community. I'm honored that you guys are here listening to the show because this podcast is about cash flow, budgets, financial goals, investments, all things money, and details making those things worth pursuing in life. With these type of topics, they're not the sexiest, but you're here and that's what matters. And we're working really hard to deliver great content and great information in this podcast. But here's the catch. 
I don't know anything about you or what your financial needs are. So consult your attorney, CPA, or reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before taking any action or making any decisions affecting your hard-earned stash. Next week, we're going to talk with the physician philosopher. He has a really unique perspective on behavioral finance, and I'm, I just love it so much. I know that you guys are going to find it interesting because it was one of the best interviews that we've done in a long time. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.